Hi everyone, I'm Duncan. And I'm Lyle. And we're here to tell you about the Acast supporter feature. If you enjoy this podcast and fancy going one step further in supporting the QLC, hit the link in the show description to find out more. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. What's not to like? Thank you so much, everyone. And enjoy this episode. The Quarter Life Chronicles With Duncan and Lyle Hello! Welcome back to the Quarter Life Chronicles With me, Duncan And me, Lyle Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, listeners, new and old, of course. Thank you. Absolutely. You've been with us on this journey so far, but thank you also. If this is your first time, welcome. We hope you're going to stay with us. Lyle, how's your week been? Not too bad. Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's been a good week. Things are sort of calming down, aren't they? Things are easing once yeah. again, and we're allowed to we're allowed to go out still, which is great. The weather's been okay. <laughs> Classic British thing of going straight to the weather when we're like, oh, <laughs> how are you doing? Well, the weather's good, so I think I'm we good. Need that. <laughs> I think we need that. I think, I think... Imagine if like the opener was like, yeah, no, I'm not sleeping great. <laughs> <laughs> Which again is something we should be open about. But I think yeah, of course, have that icebreaker. I mean, and, and why not amalgamate the two? It's been yeah. a bit rainy, hasn't it recently? A bit like my mood. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. How about you, mate? How's, how's things? I'm well, man. I'm well. I'm just ticking along. Got some exciting projects, hopefully on the horizon very soon, which is filling me with joy because it involves getting back out there and performing, which is what I love and what I've missed so much. I'm sure you're feeling the same. Absolutely. So Lyle, who have we been speaking to uh, this week? Well, this week we've been speaking to someone uh, very special indeed, or at least very special to me. And I hope you, the listeners, feel the same because uh, we've been speaking to my wonderful fiance. Alice Wynne Davis, who is from South Wales and is a professional actor and non-professional my partner. Superbly <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> executed, Lyle. But we've been speaking to Alice about her work, her life, what she thinks Core Life Crisis is, and she's also involved in an incredibly exciting project coming up very soon. She is going to be performing in the incredible Hamlet taking place in the Theatre Royal Windsor starting next month and running until September. And Hamlet? Isn't that some kind of new playwright or something? Like, I've never heard of that. Yeah, not heard of the guy. Um, he's up and comer, though. Yeah. I hear his back catalogue is sensational. Really? But, uh, this really? is just one okay. example. He's got, some, he's got some good drafts at home. <laughs> <is he>? <laughs> <laughs> it was a great conversation. We had was. such a laugh. She was bubbly. She was hilarious. She was at times very divisive. Uh, you'll be <laughs> hearing that very soon. She she certainly got to dunks at one point oh, about a certain... Uh, she, a certain nailed her, she nailed her colours to the wrong mask. <laughs> but it was absolutely brilliant. And we're really, really excited for you to hear it. Yeah. And just a reminder, as always, listeners, please make sure you're following us on Instagram and you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever you, whatever you fancy. Make sure you're following us and share us around with all your pals. Cheers again. With Without further ado, it's time to introduce the wonderful Alice Wynne Davis for your listening pleasure. You're here with the Core Life Chronicles episode 9 team. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello to Alice Wynne Davis. Hello, Alice, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, Borada. Good morning. <laughs> very well, dear Very well, thank you, gentlemen. Oh, you know what? You know what? That actually took me. That that was very much Heidi High. Everyone seen Heidi High? That was very <laughs> <much> High. <laughs> You know what I mean? Hello, campers! That was. Hello, nice. <laughs> welcome to it. Here we go, and so it begins, and so and so the, the occasional dropping in of the glorious Welsh language begins. Now here we have Alice Wynne Davis. Alice Wynne Davis, who is an actor. Alice Wynne Davis, who is from glorious South Wales, and Alice Wynne Davis, who is 
my fiance, ladies and gentlemen. It's right. Now is the time. Spoiler. My fiance is on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. My fiance is on. Random the woman who I've decided to take for wife. <laughs> there was. <laughs> to take for wife. The pressure became too much. And eventually I just had to invite the lovely Alice on. And it's great to have you here. Alice is doing some very, very exciting things that we're going to get on to talking about in the next hour or so. But Alice, as you know, you have stumbled into the Quarter Life Chronicles, a podcast that discusses the myriad of issues attached to the Quarter Life Crisis. And so we are going to kick off in a way we always do. Alice Wynne Davis, to you, what is a Quarter Life Crisis? Fire away. Well, what an interesting question. I gotta say, I've thought about this a lot. I think it's right. Have you ever seen the film The Matrix? Uh, I've, of course. Right. I've never seen it. Okay. I'll be honest. Right. But I've heard that there's this phrase people say, once you've seen The Matrix, you can never unsee The Matrix. Is that true? Is that a phrase from that film or something? Well, I don't necessarily think it's a phrase, but it's certainly true. I'd, I'd go along with that notion. <laughs> I'd go along with that. Sure. I feel like we that... started now, so we've got to finish. We started we've been, now. We've, so we've, yeah, we've I've been fallen on now. We're up here, right? I don't know what it's about. It looks like a nice film. Blokes in jackets. But in my head, that's what a quarter-life crisis is. Is, the t- is. is when you see the matrix and then you can't unsee it. And when you realise sort of what life is about... And also, you know, I'm going to kick off and be a little morbid here. But when you realise that life is finite and there is an ending and that is both comforting and scary. And, you know, you've got to think about how you'd like to fill your days, I guess, fill your time. And that's what my quarter life crisis was, was when I looked into that matrix and saw that life is finite and there is, you know, your days are unfortunately numbered Oh no, unfortunately, who knows? And this I gotta I gotta do what I wanna do in that time and not faff around, I suppose. Or faff around, because you know, there's no right way to live life. You do you. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I we've taken a long path to get there, but I love that long path. And um, <laughs> and, and I, I agree to an extent because I think you do have that moment. I, I remember having like a maybe like a dream a few months ago where I suddenly was dreaming, I was like, oh. One day I'm not going to be here. That's very strange. What am I going to do then between now and then? Because I don't know when that is. So it's a very, it is, I completely get you. It's a very strange realisation, isn't it? That you come out, even when you're at uni, you don't really think like that. And once you you finally get into the, the work world, Maybe you've had a few years of work and it's been fun. And yeah. then all of a sudden you have this moment where you're like, okay, next stage is coming. Hang on a second. Yeah. Where's the finish line? When's that yeah. coming? What's going on? And it's, you suddenly have your brain overworks for no reason. And you're just like, why am I overthinking this definite end date that may be coming soon? Or may not be. We talked about it last week with, um, with Rosa Matthew. I wonder, Alice, you said crisis happened. Are you, have you had it? Are you in it still? Is it yet to come? Where are you, where are you at with it? I think I'm a month out I think I think hard. <laughs> what? As in you've, as in you've just, you're a month. You've just left. Or? I've just left. I okay. think. I think I've just, I've just had it. I think. Well, I think. Yeah, I think it ended about a month ago. I think a month free of the crisis. I'm probably doing my next one next month. But I feel as though, like, I'm the sort of person. So ever since I was small, I think I've always been in constant crisis. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I've always known that life is. Um, fleet can be very fleeting, can be all on, on which is in one way. I have this panic that I won't have enough time to do every single thing I want to do. And on the opposite scale, 
life can be very long. So I've had too much time to do all this stuff and then think about all the things that I, you know, what, what happens when I've done it all, if I've ever done it all. And so my brain feels like it's constantly in a whirlwind of just, you know, I can't just enjoy the moment. Well, now I feel a little bit more that I can, but I had a bit like, so since I was very small, I had, I was very aware that there was a certain way that I had to live life or rather that way was imposed on me from say, you know, society. There's a certain way people live life and then off you go. And you've had a nice time. When in reality, I had this realization when I was about 25 that there is no right way to live life. You're just here. The only facts we've got really about existence is that we exist and then we don't. And what you do in the middle is totally up to you. And I had that real huge realization at 25. And from then on, I've kind of tried to attempt to live my life in a way that I actually want to rather than what I feel society has put on me it's funny because you also met me when you were 25 i'm hoping there's no correlation there but, i was just um, gonna say i was just gonna say so, it's been three years isn't it folks like uh, it's quite something actually for t- yeah. to realize around the time you well, met me as no, well no i think it was before i it was before i met you i think can't have been long lyle is a problem solver by nature you having a crisis and there he was just you just, know what though he is. He is an absolute problem solver because i've got a tendency to be quite erratic and he's the one going hold on now no, sorry, that's not your voice. Hold on now. That's not your voice either. Hold on. Hold on, Alice. It'll all be fine at the end. Oh, wow. Did, 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 Lyle, did, did Lyle do rep at the National in 1960? <laughs> in the 1960s. Hold on. Hold on. There is nothing to fear here upon this stage. Before we sort of stumble down the rabbit hole that is your oh, awful God. impressions of my voice, because they sort of go from being like Del Boy to being like sort of, you know, an example of an RP, you know, that you might hear. I think perspective is a huge thing as well, isn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, you clearly sort of flip between, not in a bad way whatsoever, but you you flip sort of periodically between this idea that life is very short and that's sort of a crisis moment for you and that's something you need to think about. And then you sort of switch across and go, life is very long and I need to fill that life. Would you say perspective is quite a big part of of your quarter life crisis or would you say it was one moment earlier in your life that's made you have that outlook or was it it's perspective it's and then there was one moment maybe a year ago which was a very bizarre thing to right okay so I think first of all it's perspective is the idea that you move out of your home your family home you know my parents I said farewell to them at like 21 and then off I moved to London and then I remained in London until now and then the minute you kind of leave the nest there's like those couple of years for me anyway there was you know those years of like oh this is very exciting I'm out in the world I'm on my own I get to live life the way I want to yay and then you sort of hit oh wait a minute I'm 25 I'm an adult when I was 14 I thought I'd have babies at 25 it's that insane Mm. 25 but then plenty of people do Plenty of people do have babies. Of course, and plenty of people do. And that's, again, live life however you feel you'd like to. And it's a lovely thing if you are, you know, lucky enough to have children at 25. But in my mind, I thought, oh my God, I got to 25 and I thought, I'm 25. Where would I put children now? But literally, where would I put them? In a drawer? I've got no... I've got no <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's no, I can't... I don't have... I'm not financially stable. I've chosen an insane career. 
There is um, research to do, clearly, for when we do eventually have children. Uh, yeah, don't so, go in drawers. Don't, don't put your child in the bedside cabinet. Oh, God. <laughs> so I have learned, I have learned since then uh, not to do that. So then that's when my crisis began, was 25. And, it, and then it sort of hit its peak at 28 when, do you remember, you watch Glee? Yeah. Naya Rivera, who plays Santana. Yep. Yep. Lesser, she, I saw she died, right? Mm-hmm. Very tragically, yeah. Very tragically. And Lyle will attest to this moment. That's the kind of real moment where I very, really realised, because my crisis all revolves around, unfortunately, death. And I, I apologise to any listeners that don't like this topic, but that's the moment that I really realised, holy shit, I'm going to die. And I panicked about it for a good couple of months, about six months. And I remember saying to Lyle, it really interfered with my day-to-day life. The idea of like, I'm going to die. Mm. And, and I, don't, I don't want to die. I don't have, I'm not ready yet. I don't know why that was the catalyst for it, because I've got no real intimate feelings about neither of them. But it was, it was that strange moment of, man, Alice, you've got to pluck your ideas up, yeah? You've got to, you've got to get on with it. Because one day it'll be too late. That being said, something occurred to me amongst this crisis. Sorry, I hope I'm making sense here. And I'm of course, no, 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 go for it. But something that occurred to me as well, my mother has said to me many times, is where were we before we were born? We have not, ex- this isn't the first time you wouldn't have existed. There was a time when we didn't exist before. So there's a time again when mm. you won't exist. And we've done it once. So, you know, I was very afraid of death for a while. But now I'm not because I find comfort in the idea that we've kind of been there before, maybe. I don't know. It's a weird thing, isn't it? But I thought, I, I, thought, yeah, I can't talk about a corporate life crisis without addressing the biggest thing that caused it for me, which was the idea of life being finite. I'm going to reference a book again that I spoke about a few weeks ago, actually. It's called The Midnight Library, and it's by a guy called Matt Haig, and he's an incredible writer. I, again, I'm going to recommend it because I don't read, and I really like this book. And in this book... There is this girl who is um, thinking about ending her life. And then she goes into this midnight library where she gets multiple opportunities to open books in this library and see what her life might have been like had she made different choices, chosen different paths, made the tiniest little decisions that would have completely changed her entire span. And it's an incredible book because you just think she could have been living all these lives parallel to each other. Who bloody knows? We don't know, do we? You know, we don't know spooky science above us. You know, we don't know. (laughs) We could be living 25 million multiple lives. We don't know. We're just in this moment right now. And I think, and like you say, you have to live like your most fulfilled version because if you're not, like you say, you don't know when it's going to stop. We we spoke about this last week as well. You don't know. You don't know. So I think it's really valuable to uh, have that attitude. And read that book, everybody. Yeah, that sounds like a great book. I feel like I'd gorge myself on you'd that. Absolutely, you'd absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Absolutely, yeah. And we obviously can't recommend that book enough as well. And Matt Haig, The Midnight Library, go and check it out, as Dunk says. I think you made a really good point there as well about like this sort of thing that actually we speak about this quarter-life crisis quite jovially. And that is the point. The point is, is that actually, much as it's a real thing, and quite scary for quite a few people, we're trying to find the fun and the solace in sort of talking about it and finding comfort in talking about it. But it is quite scary and and it would be remiss of us not to think about what you just mentioned in terms of that. I suppose you've kind of already answered this and you've said that in the last month or so you've kind of come out of it. But how would you say your assessment of not just your own quarter-life crisis, but what a quarter-life crisis is, has changed from, say, when you first moved to London to now? How would you say your assessment of that has changed? Well, I'd say... 
I thought it was going to be, what is tax and why am I paying it? <laughs> I think a lot of us still have that question now, but don't worry about it. <laughs> when I, I mean, to be honest, right, when I moved to drama school, it was like, how do I work the washing machine? And why do we have to separate your delicates from your non-delicates? That should be obvious. It should be obvious, right? Because they're delicate. <laughs> And then things like, you know, how often should you empty a hoover? After every time you vacuum or does it last a few days? I don't know. That was my original quote, like, like little... Quotes. Yeah, yeah. Small, um, maybe potentially smaller things in some respects, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and also like, what is the correct way to make a steak? Not that I was eating steak at drama school. Let's be blunt. Bloody hell. <laughs> Are Coca Pops a meal? <laughs> they are no they are no are potato smileys one of your five a day oh do you know they're delicious <laughs> oh my god they want to mind unless the answer to that is yeah. still yes then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I discovered actually right this is what I discovered when I went to drama school as in when I moved out right lived on my own potato waffles can go with any meal can go with any meal right breakfast put an egg on them lunch mm. often with a bit of salad dinner bit of meat or veg Cooked veg, good for all meals. Good for all meals. I think this is both extraordinarily helpful and useful advice, and also quintessentially what a quarter life crisis is. Just yeah. make a, <laughs> just make all three of your square meals a day. Maybe I'm still in crisis. Yeah, I would say, Alice, if you're still obsessed with the nature of a waffle and its versatility, you're probably still in a crisis. <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I'm not. I'm not one to speculate. I hate to bring you to this realization now, but I think that's. I think Dunks is onto something there. I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Right, this is something that, and I don't know if this is helpful for anybody that is going through a, a quarter life crisis or any crisis. What helped me the most is to find the humor and laughter in it. Because if you think about it, life is insane and it's hilarious. As well, you know, there are obviously a lot of there's darkness in the world, we can't deny that. But at the end of the day, there's so much laughter and so much light, it's absolutely fine. To obsess over nonsense, if you want to, like I do on a daily basis, try and, you know, I, my advice for anybody coming out of it is try and find the laughter and anything. Because I tell you this, laughter is the best medicine for anything, I mm. think. Anyway. I wonder, Alice, if you could tell us a little bit. I mean, we've spoken, sort of touched on it already. You are from the Welsh area of the UK of course uh-huh. if you haven't uh, noticed but I wonder if you could tell us kind of you mentioned obviously you moved to London at 21 which for someone from Wales potentially is quite a big move because Wales is often gets associated with this kind of very homely place where a lot of people stay for a long part of their life that it's, you know it's very very community based in Wales you know they're very very tight yeah. as a community I was wondering how that was how it compares now looking back you know your time in Wales compared to how you are in London now? What the differences are for people who maybe don't realise how much of a change that is or or, like, or not? Well, this is the thing, I think. I'm from a very small village. There are not as many people in Pembrey as there are in London, shall we say? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's a nice community. It's a very pretty village. It's by the seaside. And I think, well, I think this is the best example of what it was like to move to London. I used to go there on holiday. That was my holiday, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, not, not, not to say that, you know, the only place is Welsh people go on, uh, you know, on staycations. We do leave. We do leave. <laughs> Madness. You will find a Welsh person on the other side of the world, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I remember going when I was 17 or 18 with 
my best female friends we went uh, to London on holiday and we we you know had we back in the days when actual physical maps were a thing my friend Fliss her dad had given her his little map and I remember us walking about Covent Garden with this map open going where's the British Museum then boys so when I moved there there was such a huge shift in my head about the idea that I was now going to live in a place that I'd that I'd thought of as such a amazing destination to go on like a holiday and a break. And it was quite a large thing to do. I never realised I was Welsh until I got to London. So I lived in England. And then I realised, oh, I'm not the same, yeah? There are, you know, this is a different world. The buildings are very high, very tall. Mm. But not just that, you know, the way people speak, where people are from, their education is different. You know, like, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I, so I was very fortunate. I got onto the foundation course at Drama Centre first before I went there for my three-year BA. I think I was the only person that hadn't been to a private school. I was the only one that went to comp. Because that's, you know, there are, I'm sure there are private schools in, in Wales. Definitely there are. But less, I imagine, than in England, for oh, sure. <laughs> much less, much less. <laughs> yeah. I remember forget these two boys sitting in the, oh God, it was so bizarre. These two boys sitting in the little communal area going, oh yes, I went to, you know, uh, the posh school for posh boys. And then the other one going, was I went to the posher school for even posher boys. <laughs> they're going, I went to con- 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 comprehensive. I think boys. I played them both at rugby, actually. Yeah, both those schools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a large school for posh boys and posher school for posher so, boys. So, Lyle, was that, was that you? <laughs> no, we went to sort of mid-posh for mid-posh boys. Uh, we were, yeah. I know, we middle of the yeah, road. Marrying <laughs> a private school chat, yeah? Yeah, oh, I'm so that. sorry. No, it's all right. <laughs> but it was strange because we had a lesson about casting, I remember once. And this isn't my foundation course, not my BA, because it was a different mm. fish then. And it's casting director came in, or she could have been a, like a visiting director. And she looked around the room and she said, how many of you here have not been to private school? And I, I think I was the only one, maybe one other person, but I... You know, there was only 20, say, 20 something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to put my hand up. And I realised, oh, my God, there's actually quite a huge problem with, I guess, class divide. Because I, again, in Wales, you know, not speaking on behalf of everybody in Wales, but there's not a massive shift between people who are exceedingly, exceedingly wealthy and people who are not. The gap is still large, but it's not quite as vastly large as it is in, in England, I think. Yeah, um, I, I'd I, agree with that's that. That's how I felt when I went to England. I certainly felt, I felt much less than everybody else. And also, you know, having this accent as well, people do judge you on the way you speak because I have an accent that isn't, you know, what people would assume to be as well-spoken. doesn't mean that I'm less intelligent. just means that I've got a lilt in my voice. That's quite fun. Yeah, yeah. I agree because I, I remember just in the last few years, the industry has changed so much because it, mm. it used to be a very much a closed shop for, for anyone who didn't have money or a sort of fairly privileged upbringing drama school was kind of a pipe dream and now you know i'm so pleased that it finally it seems to be going the right way and the institutions that do these auditions are making it more affordable and and thank god because it's like we're missing out on so much talent so much talent just isn't getting seen because of cash and i know i know people will say the argument you know cream of the crop will always float to the top and all that but sometimes they won't because they just don't get the same opportunities or the same avenues that people with potentially more upbringing and income do so 100% because you're most- flying the flag Alice <laughs> <laughs> yeah I am but like it's true that you know the amount of money you have should not determine your talent 
And because it just doesn't, you know, I was comfortably, I think, the least wealthy human being in the school, especially my foundation course. Oh, gosh. You know, they turn up with like designer brands and I'm like, I've never bought anything from Louis Vuitton in my life. Why would you? You'd be five minutes and you'd be down 150 quid. You know, a saucepan. I don't. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? But not not to say that I'm, you know, from a, a very underprivileged background. I guess because I'm privileged in the fact that my parents are both teachers and had stable income and could help me and could afford. I'm an only child, so they could help me and you know go yeah, there. Yeah. Still, it wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy journey to get there. God, I don't know how I fallen down the rabbit hole of talking about this now. I wasn't planning. Well, I was going to. I was going to say, as much as it was beautifully put, and, and thank you so much for your honesty. I also got massive Gavin and Stacey vibes when you started saying we went to London for a holiday. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just wow. think of them on that, that episode one when they get off the bus and they're like, "Oh my God, we're in London." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. It is even Cardiff sometimes. You know, we go, "Oh, we're going to Cardiff now for the day." Yeah you know it's a posh place you know it's, it's an exciting thing yeah. i've been to barry mate barry is absolutely cracking yeah barry's great you say you say gavin and stacy they don't you say gavin and stacy like i mean me and al were talking about this the other day actually there are so many parallels which are totally we're not like playing up to them and we're not it's not demonstrative by any stretch of the imagination we just get to wales sometimes and conversation does drift to what's your favorite services which is Gavin, <laughs> like that's not right. even trying to be deliberately Gavin and Stacey. Oh, it's just like, yeah, love I love Lee Delamere. I was yeah. more of a memory fan. Yeah, um, can I ask every now and again? You know, yeah. you've done the M4, surely. Uh, I've I've done the M4. Yeah. Do you know it well? Do you know the services well? Roughly, roughly. Right. Yeah. What's your favourite service station? Everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. It is Lee Delamere for me. See, I'm a Lee Delamere fan, but you're memory out. You love I like memory. There's not much there, but it's sort of like a half. I need, I need, a, I need a real variety because that's the thing. Like, I, I'm vegetarian, so I need a real food variety <laughs> when I go to these. I can't just have, you know, I can't turn up and there's just a KFC that destroys me. So I can't. I, I, all I'm having, all I can have is chips and a latte, which doesn't, which oh doesn't fill me. With, you know, that's typical <laughs> out though. That's typical out. Like back in the underdog in a three horse race, memory is the underdog. Memory's like got you know the least form, but, she's but I mean the underdog. I'm a Surrey boy by heart. Cobham services, guys. Oh. Never been to Cobham services. I'm 25. Different, like- different kettle of fish. It's like 10 years old. It's brand new. It's absolutely spanking. Anyway. Unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. Good variety, is it? Good, Good variety. variety. <laughs> loads of seating. One of the biggest McDonald's you've ever seen. Superb. Incredibly successful actress, Alice Wynn Davis, everybody. Talking about service stations. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. That's why you come to the QLC. That's the quality the content. Questions. That's the quality content. Critical mail. No, thank you. <laughs> You're listening to the Quarter Life Chronicles. With Duncan and Lyle. So, Alice... We have spoken already about your journey from South Welsh girl to Londonite central city babe, but <laughs> that's going in. Um, but I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how your career has been so far since you finished your training, how you found working in London in particular, and also, you know, how you've progressed from from where you started out, really, and what's your thoughts on it all? So, yeah, since my training, it's been a bit of a long 
wrote because you know I think when I left drama school I was under no illusion that it would take a long time for things to move because you know while I was there I was very much told you know you'll be the fun Welsh one because I was very curvaceous and not the sort of stereotypical looking love interest or leading lady right I was told that my career would probably not move along until I was in my mid-30s maybe even later. And so when I was at drama school, I was always given sort of like the mother roles or the fun older woman role. I was never allowed to play a youthful love interest. And I think that was because of the way my voice sounds and also my body type. You know, I was told, and I'm not afraid to say this because I think it's important to say, I was told that I'd never be able to play Juliet because of the way I look. And also I would never be able to play Ophelia because of the way I look. I remember distinctly being cast by a young female director while I was there. Um, And she said, well, I'm going to put you as Juliet because I'd like to cast people that wouldn't normally be able to play this role. And so, and by by saying that, you're insinuating that people who do not look like the stereotypical love interests, i.e. very small, slender women who are beautiful, of course, you are basically alienating every other person apart from them by saying that they can't play roles that are worthy of unexperienced love. And not just love, you know, tragedy, drama, multifaceted human beings with the capabilities to feel you can't do that you must be the comic yeah you are spot on and I think I don't know if Lyle can speak for this as well I experienced something very similar at drama school where I was basically told that I'm you're quite comic and you're quite feminine in some of the things you do so you'll never be able to play parts like Caesar or Oberon for example hint and I was always told I can't play parts with any kind of gravitas because I don't have that presence and I was just like what because I'm a bit I'm a bit kooky and a bit quirky and I'm not I'm not an alpha male in the the definition of what alpha male supposedly means to everybody in the 1980s you know what I mean and it's just it's so backwards and and, you know we'll get onto it in a minute but you can play any part Alice and any actor can play any part so absolutely and we lose sight I think it's so important as well we lose sight I think of what you know this sounds very deep and philosophical when it comes to our chosen craft but the very definition of the word acting is to act is to pretend so actually you're cutting right to the core of what it is we're supposed to be trying to do with ourselves with our talent with our career if you turn around and say you can be as talented as you like but if you look a certain way you can't act that role well, you should be able to act any role because by its very definition, you're acting, you're pretending to be somebody. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's really important that you picked up on that, Al, and it's really important that with reference to your career, that's something that has progressed since you started as well. Could you talk a bit more about that, how maybe early on that was very much a problem you encountered and how maybe it's slowly starting to change, but there's still room for... Oh, I'd love to talk about it. I yeah, really would, because definitely. it's so important to talk about these things because then they'll stop. And so also, I'm- sorry, just to, for people who don't, who aren't in this profession, to give you an insight into what it's actually like. And actually, you know, people always say, oh, oh, you know, what have you been in recently? You know, where have I seen you? And all this it's not that simple. Like, you know, you're fighting against, you know, 50 million other versions of you in lots of people's eyes, but everybody's unique and there's always a part for everybody. And then yeah, it will come. spot on, Duncan. There is a part for everybody. Nobody should ever be made to feel like there isn't a space for them. That's absolutely wrong. Uh, no matter what you look like, no matter your skin colour, no matter the way you your your voice sounds, there is a space for everybody. And 
it's time to take up that space. I'm a huge advocate for that because, you know, I distinctly remember, my God, going for an audition to play, um, I can't remember the name of it now, I probably shouldn't say anyway, but it was to play a female version of a kind of Sweeney Todd, which does sound quite cool, you know, sounds a bit fun. But I was too... And as a, as a quite, I'm, I'm quite a curvaceous woman. I'm not um, a larger lady, but I'm curvaceous. I've got very big boobs and, you know, I've got a lovely thick thighs, as it were. So, you know, because there is no space in the middle between being a large actress or a very small actress, there's no middle ground. So if you are, you know, a little bit larger than the more slender actresses, you're put with everybody else who is much larger. Yeah. Oh, you'll be good at comedy because you're a bit more curvaceous, that bloody stereotype. Insinuates that anybody who's got larger bodies, again, is just not worthy of experiencing any love or or loss. You know, you can't live life. You just got to be funny. It's just madness. Anyway, so I was put up for this part and she said to me, oh, you're not quite plump enough. I said, all right, okay, well, sorry. And then he said, so do you know what I'd like you to do now? She said, I'd like you to go away and I'd like you to spend the next week and a half eating as much food as physically possible, eating as many donuts as possible. And then come back next week and let's see how much weight you've put on. And then we'll try and consider you then if you got a bit plumper, a bit fatter. Now, if I... But wait a minute, I don't want to know. If I wanted to be bigger... Fair enough. Like, you know, everybody, everybody as in bodies are beautiful. Mm. But I was very content with how I, you know, with my body, it functions. It got me to where I am now. Mm. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to have to stuff myself with donuts to get a roll. Mm. And on the opposite end, you know, I was told I was too large to play this bohemian character in something because, you know, bohemian people are not curvaceous. They're very slender. (laughs) which is mad the mere idea that that how much somebody weighs or their dress size is a reason why they're denied an opportunity is baffling Mm. and I I wanted to stop so I'm going to talk about it because you know if you if you are somebody out there that has done that to an an actor or you know just have a a think about what you're saying you're you're indirectly saying to somebody that the way that they look is incorrect Mm. and that's just wrong I think it's it's coincided this this change in the, in the acting industry and, and probably in sort of any, in any freelance arts profession has coincided with much more awareness of mental health and I think yeah. back in the day I was I know you know those talent shows that used to be on TV where Andrew Lloyd Webber would choose someone to be in his musical they were it was years ago and he How do you solve a problem like Maria How do you solve a problem like Maria fantastic yeah. right <laughs> and 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 you know what they did find amazing people but along the way they butchered some people I, I was watching clips from it they were so rude and so mm. harsh to some of these women and men mm. and i was thinking you know what are they going to do they have to go away and pick themselves up from this experience of being humiliated on live telly and you only have to look back to x factor and all those other you know other other shows and i won't go into it but it's still reflective of the industry yes it's on telly but it's the same principle you're being judged and taken apart by these people that don't care they don't care about these people they just want the clicks they just want the ratings they want the so you know, true and it's not right and it's and i'm glad it's changing and yeah. it's something we need to you know it's definitely something we need to encourage just in society in general obviously you know the acting industry and the arts it, it is still disappointingly and upsettingly rife within that industry but i think in society in general i, th- I feel like we are getting there you know a bit, bit optimistic out of nowhere for a second i feel like we are getting there but you know it's a very simple straightforward sentence just be kind be kind to one another I was you can't buy that told, i was once told i just this is just popping into my head because this is insane actually i once did a camera test for something the director said yeah 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 really enjoyed it your eyes are a bit big 
do you mind just squinting? I said, I'm sorry. They said, yeah, your eyes are too big. They're, they're making, you know, you look crazed. Can you squint so your eyes can be smaller? It's just I mean, incredible, isn't it? Like, you know, it's just, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter what you look like. If I was a very, very slight woman and I was told to put on weight for a role, well, and what if I couldn't do that? What if my body was incapable of gaining weight? Mm. What if I'm a much, much larger lady who was told to lose three stone for a role and I've got a thyroid issue and I can't lose weight? Or not even, not even only that, I'm happy with my body, so I don't bloody want to. Yeah. It's, well, it's, that's the thing, is it? It used to be, you know, you're you're a slave to the industry. If anything, if you need, if you want this part, you'll have to do everything. You know, you have to sacrifice everything to get it, and that's just not healthy for a human body or a human brain. So, I mean, it's just not okay. It totally took its toll as Lyle the Testo on on my mental health. You know, if you're constantly known as the big girl, even mm. when I'm not, I, and also that's an insult to people who are bigger because mm. I'm not. I'm not a big girl. Just just factually, I'm not. Mm. So it's, you know. But if you are constantly told that you are something, it's going to get in your head and it's going to eat away at you. And then every time you're told that no for a role or anything in life, if, you're, if your date goes badly and then you're told, well, you know, it eats away at you until the point where you think, I can't, I can't, I've got to really monitor what I eat because I am mm. really careful so I can fit in this ridiculously idiotic shaped box. Mm. Oh, bugger off. It's a vicious cycle because as one yeah. thing has been, as one thing's getting sorted, which is potentially, you know, people's attitudes towards casting and, and people being you know not discriminated in that way that's getting better mm-hmm. unfortunately that that has coincided with the rise of social media which has put this new pressure on people which is now you have to look great online which is even more difficult to handle because you're, it's just so much of it all the time so it's just and, and actors are you know actors are probably the best and worst at it because we're we use it a lot to look at our what our friends are up to but at the same time we're looking at everyone else going oh, they're doing so well they look yeah. so great and i look yeah. so crap and i feel yeah. miserable yeah. and it's just like you know and it's a constant struggle and yeah literally just, saw somebody the other day during the pandemic during a pandemic right just living her best life in a yacht and she clearly like filtered herself so that she didn't have any lines, stretch marks, wrinkles, nothing. And there I was sitting in my bed in my pajamas, up to my chin in chocolate. I was like, do you know what? No, I, there's no open airline going to look like that. And I know that she doesn't look like that either. None of these girls on social media that put out these you know posts look like that. They're not perfect. Nobody's bodies. I feel like. In, in, in bed surrounded by chocolate equally living your best life I mean there was no caption but you know equally yeah. like having the best time I love how chocolate was in bed with, with Alice but Lyle was nowhere to be found I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was there too he was you know nibbling away I'd been, I'd been replaced let's be let's but be I, real let's let's call a spade a spade I've been replaced by, by the chocolate in chocolate <laughs> <laughs> from the, the ridiculous and the perennially upsetting to the sublime because it would be remiss of us to have have you on the podcast without talking about the really exciting project that you are involved in currently. So Alice Wynne Davis is going to be appearing in a production of Hamlet that you might have heard about that's being performed at the Theatre Royal in Windsor starting on the 21st of June and a certain wonderful incredible Serena McKellen is playing the title role in that production. So Alice here we go it's the big one. How's it been? The big question. Hamlet, discuss, talk to us, tell us all. As I was just saying about the fact that, you know, I was told I'd never play Ophelia. Well, I am. I am playing Ophelia. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
drops mic. No, I am. I'm playing Ophelia. I'm very proudly playing Ophelia opposite Ian McKellen's Hamlet at the Theatre Royal Windsor from the 21st of June. Thank you, Lyle. Until the 4th of September. And then after that, um, we're also doing the Cherry Orchard. And it's been incredible. We've just done a bit of rehearsal for it now. And it's a vastly interesting process you know people ask a lot about the age difference you know am I bothered by the fact he's considerably older than I am no I'm not no I'm not no I'm not I you know there was maybe five minutes when I was like oh that'll be an intriguing choice and then you watch him perform a soliloquy and you watch him say these lines in the most passionate beautiful extraordinary magical way and you forget instantly that he isn't a man in his 20s he sprints around the stage like nobody's business and I'm behind <laughs> puffing in my heels you know darn now I'm coming <laughs> you know and he, he's an incredible actor obviously he's, he's one of the greatest actors of our generation of our time and because he gives so much I mean you know there's obviously Sosa Ian is Hamlet but then we've got the incredible Jenny Seagrove who's Gertrude who again is a what beautifully giving human being Jonathan Hyde who's playing Claudius absolutely hilarious Stephen Burkoff who's playing Polonius tell you a funny story about this um, my first ever audition I ever did for anything was for the National Youth Theatre for Wales. And I decided that I'd do a piece from Birkhoff. Oh, a Birkhoff piece? Oh, God, I was 16, right? Why did I think, God, oh, this will impress them? <laughs> I did a piece, a Birkhoff piece where, uh, from Decadence where a woman has an erotic experience. On a horse. On a horse, yeah. Do you know it? Do you know it? I, I did it. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, don't be offended by the fact that I did it, okay? I can ride a horse just as good. Isn't it great? You know, you're such a brilliant piece because I remember thinking, I was like, right, I'm 16 and I want to be a bit yeah. edgy. Like, there now, I'm going yeah, to yeah, yeah. It was so <laughs> A-level. It was so A-level. It was, it was A-level times. It I was know. beautiful. I know, I'm blessed. i right. Everybody else did these lovely pieces about how nice it was to be outside during the summertime or whatever. And I'm yeah. there going... I love this horse. Oh god! And then, and then, what was so bizarre? He's now playing my dad. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I looked the other day and I was like, if my 16 year old self knew that eventually the guy who wrote this piece would be playing my father in a in a play. How did you mention it to him? Have you mentioned to him that you did I actually, no, I haven't got the courage to say it yet. I, I how that? But how do you go up to somebody? And go, excuse me, Mr. Burkoff. Um, I hope you don't mind me telling you this, but I once did a monologue from um, one of your plays where I was aroused by a horse. How do you say that to somebody? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But like the whole the whole cast is absolutely brilliant and hilarious, and it's going to be quite a production, I hope. And it, you know, with regards to Ian being Hamlet, you know, I, there is no doubt in my mind that the audience will within the first two minutes be able to totally suspend their imagination sorry suspend their belief and fall into this world with us i, I think i was going to say about the thing about surian if i may call him surian, um, <laughs> he is timeless as a performer and and even in film for example probably a bit of a loose example but in x-men it's probably not you know the thing he's most known for but he's it's something that he's it's probably like most commercially and globally known for yeah. you know yeah, yeah he he just seems you don't even realize he's old the way he just carries himself in those films, like he's just the same age as all the young guys. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Patrick Stewart, he's in a wheelchair. So we can see, you know, he's getting on a bit. <laughs> but, Ian, <laughs> but Ian McKellen is just walking around, moving yeah. floors and like moving buildings. And you're oh, like, yeah, I totally buy it. 
I totally yeah. buy it. <laughs> he works out. He does. He exercises every day. I think. I think he's got like a trainer. I think. Incredible. He eats amazingly well. He's just the fountain of youth. I think it's unbearable. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God, I'm shattered. But I can't be shattered. I'm yeah. 28, Alice. Pull yourself together. Well, there um, you go. You were talking about earlier about um, court-life crisis and having this realisation that you know, life is not forever. Mm-hmm. Here's someone who's at the lesser end of his life in terms of, you know, and this is probably in the last chapter, potentially. Yeah. And he's still living with the same zest and, and power and joy that he probably did when he was in his 20s. I don't know. I'm not yeah. him. But I assume that he probably is and because he's loving playing this part, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in such a, a bold way as well, without giving it away too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, no spoilers. No spoilers. Like, yeah, this isn't in any way like Hamlet light. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Hamlet full pedal to the metal, full on. We've come at it from a very real place and we want to try and make it as impactful, I suppose, and as exciting and thrilling for the audience as possible. And, you know, I, I'm very aware as well that to be working in, in this field right now is a very rare thing because since the pandemic hit, I mean, holy shit, mm-hmm. you know, I am exceedingly grateful that I'm, God, allowed to be here, if I'm honest. Not not that, you know, we're taking COVID tests every five minutes. My nose is numb. My <laughs> nose is numb. Oh, my God. You know, and there's a lovely lady then who comes around and goes, uh, are you wearing your face mask? And I'm like, sorry, 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 put it on my face. Everybody, you know, are you wearing your face shield? Yes, 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 sorry, put it on your face. And, you know, the director, Sean Mathias, is brilliant. And he saw something in me. I don't know what the hell he saw, but something. And gave me a chance. And um, hopefully it'll be all right. I don't know. I'm, I may be crap, but I mean, you know, I'm having a lovely time. Well, that's something I was going to ask, actually. That's something I was going to ask. <laughs> Will you be crap? That's the question. <laughs> Are you going to be rubbish? Uh, no, no, no. No, something I was going to ask you, Al, actually, was how did you feel when you got that role? And also, how have you felt since? Because, you know, shocker, it's not a small thing. It's everywhere. Everyone's really excited. It's going to be one of the first blockbuster theatrical events to reopen once everything opens up. How did you feel when you got the role of Ophelia and how have you felt since in the sort of whirlwind of media and attention and all that sort of stuff? How's it been for you, that experience? So it was a little bit of a long process to get to Ophelia, as Lyle will attest to. I got so stressed about whether or not I was going to get the role that I uh, can't believe I'm about to say this. I bought a slow cooker from Home Sense. I tell you why though I bought it, right? I tell you, it was down from it was down from something like 40 quid to 15. Well, it's a bargain, isn't it? Can't leave that there. So, anyways. I was struggling, so I bought a, I bought a slow cooker. I was gonna say, we're desperately clutching at the straws of what an answer to this question could be. Where are we going with this? I'm so sorry. Because my, my mother said to me, Would you know what would be lovely is if you bought yourself a slow cooker at some point? Because they're really good. Uh, you can put the food on when you go out of the house, and then when you come back, then it's made. Oh, that's so old fashioned to say that, isn't it? Right. But basically, I was very excited. But more than that, I was overwhelmed. I remember my agent phoned me and said, Yes, yes. It is done. Well, I burst into tears. I burst. I burst. Because it was so much tension inside me. You know, in the back of my head, I thought, oh, well, it'll never happen. Really, will it? Never happen, really. I'm just happy to be spear carrier number four. Uh, or, you know, woman who sweeps the stage. Other spear carriers are available. Such a loose reference. <laughs> I wouldn't be carrying a spear, of course. But, um, uh, oh God. Other numbers of spear carriers are available. <laughs> but I would like to be happy to, to do that, to have a, you know, to do anything in it, just to be part of the whole process would have been bloody fabulous. 
But the fact that, you know, oh God, I get to play this amazing, iconic kind of role, I guess, isn't there really God life? It's quite a thing, quite a moment. And I, I did have this thought. I remember the first time I saw somebody that was that had a body shape like mine on stage. And I think I was 27 when I saw it. Maybe not 27, God. 26, I think, 25, 26, around the time of the crisis beginning. And I saw and the actress, I can't remember her name now, that's so annoying. But I saw her on stage and I thought, oh my God, and she was playing a love interest. And I thought, oh my God, that's a woman who looks exactly like me. Holy shit. Imagine if I'd seen that when I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I had that moment of thinking, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of a ridiculous thing to say. But if there's a, a little girl in the audience who is a bit lumpy and a bit bumpy, got you know thinks that she's too quirky or strange or weird or I don't know out of the box to play anybody's love interest she'll have a little look and think oh there's an absolute lunatic on stage there like me it was quite a moment where I was like oh man I'm I can actually do it and I said to Lila I was like if this is the last because this could be the last job I ever do who knows Mm. if it is oh what a lovely story to tell well, you just don't know. That's the other thing, isn't it? We talk about life, but actually working in this industry is one of those as well, where you can just go years without working or months without getting an audition. Yeah. So when you get those moments, you just have to seize it, don't you? And just embrace every every aspect of it because yeah. you don't know what's coming. So yeah. it's just like, let's just immerse myself in the joy of what this is and the shared experience that is performing i'm sure you've worked incredibly hard as well which you, which you're too modest to say but i'm sure you have worked incredibly incredibly hard hard work pays off and it, you know yeah. it might not happen straight away but that's the thing i think when i left and i'm not afraid shame to say this when i wasn't especially in drama school and after drama school i worked very hard i worked incredibly hard because i felt like i had to prove that i deserved to be there and it wasn't easy it was you know it really wasn't easy and at the end of it all, I thought, well, what, I've worked really hard and what has it got me? Nothing, I suppose. I'm just sort of wafting around now like a little ghost, hoping for the best. And and actually, you know, to all of, I suppose, the young people who are, who are working so hard to get somewhere and it's taken them a little bit of time, it does pay off in the end. It does pay off. It has to. Just hold on. Just just keep going. You know, the road, you're on, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. There'll be a couple of bumps in the way. But um, <laughs> we're, we're just we've just come through quite a significant bump. It's <laughs> <Yeah. as> <laughs> been a rather <laughs> sizable bump. <laughs> but, you know, make sure you have people around you that keep you mm. on the right track, who support you, who help you when you fall, because you'll fall a lot. They're with, you know, their little bottles of Lucozid. Other energy drinks are available. Mm. Go, Come on, you can keep keep going now, keep going. It's important, you know, to remember that if you're not there yet, you'll get there. I'm running a real marathon in October, but I would genuinely say that my oh. last maybe five, six years of doing this have felt tougher than I think that race will feel. For en- endurance is, is sustaining the energy to continue at something that doesn't always give you the fulfillment that it deserves. That's yeah. endurance, you know? I may, I, may, I may be speaking out of hand. I may collapse after 10 miles of this race in October. And then <laughs> they could never do that. That's amazing. I was going to say, listeners, mark that comment there from one Duncan Mitchell by saying, the last five or six years is probably harder than any marathon I could run because while a very important and very pertinent point, I would encourage listeners to this podcast to come and support Mr. Mitchell later on this year in the marathon to see whether or not that claim 
is indeed true oh, by mile 18 that. where he is absolutely blowing towards the end. What? I mean, who, who isn't He's blowing going. at 18 miles? <laughs> unless, unless, unless you're bloody, I don't know, Mo Farah, of course you're bloody blowing at 18 miles. Dunks, you and me both know I'll be you're blowing at 18 minutes, let alone 18 miles. I'll be, I'll be all over the place. And you like to run, don't you? You are a runner, aren't you? I've, I've forced myself to like it, yeah. <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be there going, go on, Duncan. Come on now. Blast. Is that what they say? Come on. Come on, bud. Come on, bud. You're close to the line. <laughs> Get up, I can move on. Come on. I ain't got all day. You're listening to the Quarter Live Chronicles. Don't forget to like and follow on Instagram and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Cheers, guys. Alice, thank you so much for coming on this week. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you about what your quarter life crisis was, your own assessment of the quarter life crisis, whether or not you're in one still. And also, it's been incredibly exciting to talk to you about Hamlet at the Theatre Royal in Windsor next month. But it is also very important to point out to the listeners of the uh, Quarter Life Chronicles that myself and the lovely Alice Finn Davis will be getting married in a few months. Uh, and it's obviously been a super exciting time planning this <laughs> event. Um, she's looking at me now. <laughs> I've been uh, sort of trying to learn a bit of Welsh. It's not been going very well, has it? I've been trying Have to learn you? a bit of Welsh. Have you, or is that a lie? I mean, you know, <laughs> I know, I know Boradar, I know Nostar, I know, uh, I know, I know lots of ways of saying hello or good day. That's about all I all I get to. It's a starting point. <laughs> oh, best uh, Bessie Bod. Yeah, which means. Uh, are you okay? No, oh Lyle, it means that's wrong. <laughs> and then you got my pen. Oh, uh, pen tossed, which means I've got a headache. Yes. I don't actually know how to say I'm fine. Oh, no. Oh, no. Dim bead. There's nothing wrong. Very good. There you go. You see, so to our Welsh listeners, um, I hope I've, I've done at least an um, diokaval, which means thank you very much. Uh, so I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. All right, show off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. You see, hey, you know, see, I try. I put the effort in. Um, as this, is in this is in desperate hope that my talent at speaking Welsh is not a part of what Duncan is about to introduce. I really hope I'm not in either of your contributions to uh, to how we always finish, which Duncan, I would love for you to introduce. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> um, the time's come. You've been so wonderfully positive and bubbly for the last hour or so, and we've absolutely loved it. But now what I'd like you to do in a dramatic turn of events, Alice, is for you to get really angry for a minute. I'm already, I was born <laughs> so you know what's coming. Alice, we'd like you to moan about something that really gets on your wick. Something that maybe is quite small, maybe maybe it's not small, but we want you to really go for us for around 60 seconds about something that really gets on your nerves. So, Alice, Wynne Davis, what is your contribution to the League of Millennial Moaners? Avocados. They're absolute nonsense. Why on earth are people obsessed with avocados, right? I understand. If you are one of these people, I won't judge you too heavily. Lol joke, I do judge you. Um, they don't taste nice. They taste like watery soil. Um, they're sad. They've got a giant pip in the middle, which makes no sense. Apparently, they're not vegan as well, because they have got they do something to bees. And and the, you know bees, bees have it bad enough. So you don't need bees hurting them as well, right? There's only two animals in the world that are native avocados 
avocado eaters. They're jaguars and alligators. Nonsense. Nonsense. If avocados are in a party, honestly, right? I hate avocados. You know, if, if you were in a party and all the fruit were there having a really nice time, you'd have apples in the corner having a dance, grapes gossiping. Where's the avocado? The avocados in the toilet doing a Sudoku. Boring. Boring. It's a nothing, nothing fruit. Don't put it on toast. Don't, because it makes the toast bad. Listen, you know, somebody said to me the other day, they said, oh, oh, I'm going to have a lovely, refreshing avocado salad. There's nothing worse than an avocado bloody salad. Why would you ruin a salad with avocado? Can I have a BLT? You know, people have started putting avocados in BLTs, bacon, lettuce, tomato, and horror. That's what it is. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them. Anybody that tries to sell me, and I've whoever's oh, do you know? Do you know? I'm getting angry now. Anybody who says it's still avocados are delicious, I'm really sorry to say this, but you are deluded. The end. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this off. Genuinely, guess what I had for breakfast this morning? If you say an avocado, I'm gonna be sick. Avocado toast. Can I just ask you what, right? Can I Much ask? Respect. Maybe, maybe it's my. Do you know what, right? And this is no offense to you, Duncan, because it's not right. long. So I'm, I'm awesome. deluded. I'm deluded. Well, you are deluded. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with these kinds of people, right? Yeah. But from my experience, people who enjoy a plain, a plain avocado on toast. Yeah. The same people that go to Nando's and order a, a flavorless wrap. Or the lowest spice. Yeah. Nothing going on there. No, yeah. Nothing. I don't I don't resort to that. I absolutely drip mine in hot sauce, to be fair. Let me ask you. I have a dietary reason why I have invested in avocado. Before when I when I ate meat, I never touched avocado in my life. Yeah. Like I was like, that is just but then once you start moving away from meat, you have to try and find other things that complement your breakfast items in the morning. Mm. And they are quite a nice accompaniment to an egg. But are they? Don't so, are they? Well, I don't know. I, know, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> are you? Who like, knows? That's right. I say this. I don't say this lightly. I of late, I've had a dietary change, and I decided that I'm going to eat more avocados. I forced myself to eat them, and I lied to people. I lied to people. I said, "Oh yes, I've had a lovely." Yeah, avocado. yeah. yeah you lied to me about them. It took us a while to get over that. I mean, the yeah. trust. The trust was but gone. They're never right. They're never right. They're never. No. It's either as hard as a plank of wood. They're as soft as poop, and yep. there's nothing in the middle. Well, so this morning, when I chopped the avocado this morning, tried to get the stone out. Oh, <gasps> see what I'm right. For the <laughs> listeners, for the listeners, I am showing my plastered finger. The battle wound. What is the point in them? There's no. They're a good fat. They're bloody not a good fat. They're bloody not. I read the other day that they shouldn't even exist anymore. They should have gone decades ago. Well, good riddance. Get them away. I can't. I just can't. I eat them now. If you do like an avocado, of course. I won't judge you too heavily, but there'll be a small part of me that thinks a little bit less. <laughs> wow. Alice, oh. our, our friendship's only just blossomed and now it's already dying. Away it goes. <laughs> I have a couple of points. I have a couple of uh, couple of interesting points. First one's very straightforward. Was anyone just reminded, was I the only one who thought, not the bees, you know, like Nicholas yeah, Cage, yeah, not the yeah. bees, when you were talking about the bees. Didn't know that. It's good to see you've done your research. Didn't know that about I, avocados. I've got it up here, right? They do something to bees. I don't know what they do to bees, but as we all know, the bees have had enough time in this world. They don't need a useless, flavourless goblin of a fruit interfering in their world. I mean... Leave them alone. I would just like to mention, though, I do understand, but guacamole? No? Tell you this, right? I will have a guacamole, right? Right. But... but only because I know when it's rude to say no to somebody that's made you guacamole. 
And two, if you try really hard, you can you can sort of get the actual taste of avocado out. Yeah. Um, because it's quite sweet. But I will be honest, guacamole does ruin like a wrap for me. Like if if you know, as in wow. I will have more fun eating like a fajita if there is no guacamole. No, come back. For the listeners, Duncan is, is has, has walked out of the room. He is so upset by this. This might be the first moan that's genuinely offended one of the hosts. It's, no, it's because it's so hit and miss with that avocado. If there was a way, I tell you this, if there was a way to get um, make guacamole without an avocado, I feel like I'd be there for days. You know, lovely bit of spice in, that lemony zest. But you've always got to compensate for an avocado. Yeah, that's you true. You have to compensate for the fruit. I feel like in the world of Alice Wynn Davis, there are three things that are certain in life. Death, taxes, and that it's rude to turn down the offer of guacamole if someone's made it for you. Uh, yeah. Those, they're, those yeah. are three absolutes. But there you go. I don't, did not enjoy guacamole. I just don't like it. Do you know what I mean? Because the avocado. Also, just before we move on, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with one of the things you said as well in terms of the fact that Sudoku in the toilet during a party, mad respect. I mean, yeah, if you want to take a break, do a number puzzle, I'm, I'm key. Bit of long division in a downstairs laboratory. <laughs> Naila, are you implying that you are the avocado in this scenario? And that well, you- I, I wasn't going to say anything out, but, you know, you've, you've, you've mentioned a couple of things there that, you know, you know, I, I, I probably don't have that much of a negative impact on bees, but Sudoku in the bathroom is something yeah. I probably would do. A Sudoku in the worst segue I've done this series is something that one might put into our quarter-life time capsule. Uh, a Sudoku- That's absolutely appalling, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not in that. This is something I said to Lila. I was like, is it like a dead? It's not like a desert island, is it? No, no. The sensational Emily Bairstow invented this idea quite brilliantly. I, that I, this was I, a think, I think if I, I think if Sudoku was one of my things in this capsule, I would force myself to move to a desert island and shame if Sudoku <laughs> was, in, was in my top three. <laughs> Other puzzles are available. Are they, though? Is there are any they? others that anyone plays anymore? Alice, an incredible contribution to the League of Millennial Moaners. It'll be both poignant, exciting to listen to, divisive, everything you want. Offensive to vegans. <laughs> I just I get really passionate about it. I get really passionate about, about avocados because people tell me they're lovely all the time. And I'm like, but you're, they're not. <laughs> We are going to, as ever, end on the quarter-life time capsule, which is essentially a capsule where our quarter-life guests contribute three things to a capsule that got you through your quarter-life crisis or are getting you through your quarter-life crisis. Now, these things are an essential item, a luxury item, and an unexpected item. We're after three things that you would put in this capsule that got you through that crisis when you're ready, fire away. So my essential item is not necessarily an item, but human beings. I would take the Fun Brigade. And the Fun Brigade is a WhatsApp group I have uh, with all of my best friends from school. There's six of us. And uh, they've just say, like got me through every year of my life, really. Um, they're just the best humans ever. They're all the most fierce, fabulous, glorious, hilarious women. And uh, I don't know what I'd do without them. And I'm grateful for them every day. Lyle, of course, you're an honorary member of the Fun Brigade. So you're kind of in there as well. But but I... I no, I, no, no, don't you? No. You, I, you, I bring the Fun Brigade with I was me. I say, Lyle and the Fun Brigade. <laughs> 
It's like a band, isn't it? It's like a strange oh, band. Like eighties reggae or something. Well, you got to do some kind of audition for that. You can't just get you can't just get primary membership without just because you're related to just because you're going out with Alice. In fairness, on. I can't I can't say I'd do a Sudoku in the toilet during a party and then say I'd be part of a and then qualify for the fun brigade. Um, so I not think that's that. fair. I, I, I understand. And yeah, I'm ju- I'm jesting, of course, of course, of course, of course, he's in, of course. He's in. And mad props to the fun brigade as well. They're brilliant. All, all yeah, brilliant. they're brilliant women. They're the best. Just the best. My luxury item is um, all of the Harry Potter books um, because I love them so much to the point where I feel like if I knew in life as much as I know about Harry Potter, I probably would have had a very different life (laughs) because I spend far too much time reading them and dissecting them and writing ridiculous essays about what I think about them. Proud Hufflepuff. So that's my... Luxury item. (laughs) And then my surprising item, surprising item is a toilet. Because I tell you this now, right? Could not get through life without a good toilet. Some of you listeners will know what I mean. Because I spend a lot of time in the toilet reflecting about life, you know, sitting there. Oh, you mean the the room itself, not just the actual toilet bowl, like the room? Oh, no, no, no. As in, I suppose the room itself. Okay, okay. but the actual toilet bowl itself, it's important to have a good toilet <laughs> in your life because, because you know, it's, it's, you know, when you're needing to go to the loo and then when you, I, I often feel the feeling of relief when I sit on the toilet and I go, oh, I'm home, you know? I don't know, I, I, just, <laughs> I just think a really good toilet is something that is really underrated in life. And um, when you get a love, you sit on that toilet and you really relax. There's no better feeling. <laughs> So that's my unexpected item. Lovely. I mean, we've now had nine unexpected, well, technically 11 unexpected items because we've had a couple of duos. 11 unexpected items. That's up there with the most unexpected of items. Uh, <laughs> expecting that to be. I was mentioned. thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I was like, what has got me through the promise that I can go home and go to the toilet? Oh, it's just proof a... if proof we needed as well, listeners, that none of these were run by me before we came <laughs> on. You know, um, Al is my partner in crime, and I, I had no idea that that was going to be the unexpected item. And I mean, we are, and we are all the better for it. <laughs> <laughs> I strongly approve. I strongly approve. Well, divisive, exciting, intriguing contributions to the oh, millennial okay. moan and to the quarter lifetime capsule. Alice Wynn Davis, brilliant Al. Thank you so much for being on the Quarter Life Chronicles this week. Thank you, gentlemen, very much for having me on. I've had a whale of a time. A oh, whale so, of a time. A whale so of a time. Goodness. Very me. good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been absolutely brilliant. Before we head off, can you please give us one final blast of what you're up to next month? in terms of that incredibly exciting project we were talking about earlier. Next month, I shall be in Hamlet and the Cherry Orchard. Hamlet runs from the 21st of June through till the 4th of September. Please come along if you're free and you fancy a bit of fun. And that's at the Theatre Royal in Windsor from the 21st of June. So thank you so much, Al. It's been absolutely brilliant. You've been wonderful. I mean, Lyle's a bit biased, obviously. He thinks you're wonderful because uh, he, he, he has to say that. He has to say that. But, um, but, I, but surprisingly, I'm going to agree with him. <laughs> you were fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm so I'm so blessed and so happy to have you on. And it's been so nice to chat to you in this lovely medium. And good luck. Best of luck. Break a leg. And hopefully Ian doesn't actually break his leg. Not <laughs> quite. <laughs> Love him. No, I'll be fine. He'll bounce back up. No, he's like a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Al. You've been brilliant. And we'll see you soon. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Bye. Bye.
This has been the Quarter Life Chronicles with Duncan Mitchell and Lyle Fulton. You know the drill. Give us a follow on Instagram and don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Until next week, thanks for listening.